Welcome to the Vineyard Altoona podcast. If you have any questions or just want more information, you can visit our website at vineyardaltuna.org or any of our social media platforms at Vineyard Altoona. And now, here's Jerry with the message. Sometimes I like to start right off the bat with a little survey so I can figure out who I'm talking to, so I can sort of get a read on the crowd. So I have some questions that I want to ask, and if you do this, I want you to raise your hand, okay? So if you're referring to a group of people and you say y'all, raise your hand. Ooh, there's a lot of you. Okay, interesting. Okay, so if you are someone who's 15 minutes early for everything, raise your hand. These are my people right here. Okay, put your hand down. If you have a specific way that you pass the food at family dinner, raise your hand. Less, that's what I suspected. Okay, um, great. So I have a little story about that because I think it's funny. You may have heard this story before. Derek and I come from very different family structures. Both good, very different. Um, and the first time he had family dinner with my family, he's sitting there, this is the first time he's met them. And this is like grandparents, my parents, siblings, aunts and uncles, big table full of people. We're just talking, passing the food. We've already said the prayer. And I look over, everyone's starting to eat. I look over and he has no food on his plate. And I was like, are you hungry? He was like, I didn't know how to get the food. <laughs> like, I didn't know what was happening because in his family, they pass it in a certain direction. Nobody eats until grandma, who's the last one, gets some food and they eat. In my family, we're just all talking to each other. And if you want the food, if you want the mashed potatoes, you start a conversation with the person who has the mashed potatoes. And you just, or you just enter in their conversation, you get it, you pass it to the next person. But he was just so confused, he had no idea how to get the food. And so my point here is that I think all of these things really depend on the, the people we've been around, right? The kind of family that we grew up in or the kind of community we're around. If you are someone who is 15 minutes early, that's probably been modeled for you in your family of origin or in the people that you're around. Those kinds of people probably value being on time above other things. And so what I wanna say today is that it, your community, the people that you spend time with, shape you and mold you. Even if you don't intend them to, they do. I didn't know that there was a certain way to pass the food. I just thought you grabbed it and you talked to people while you were doing it. And so how we think, our desires, even what we think is socially appropriate is often very shaped by the community of people that we have around us. And I think greater society has really caught on to this idea of community. It's a deeply biblical idea, but if you look around, there's communities that pop up around everything, right? The La Leche League is a community around nursing mothers, and so they support each other and they encourage each other. Um, there's all kinds of ways that we build community around things that are not Jesus, and I'm not saying those things are bad. And as I was thinking about that, about this idea that even secular culture has realized that humans are built for relationship, I started looking around for community quotes from those types of communities. And so I found one from Weight Watchers, which I'm actually a part of. If you don't know what Weight Watchers is, they're a community of people who are just trying to live healthier 
And the Weight Watchers quote is, we are all in this together. We are a community. We are positive and powerful. And when we put our minds to it, we can do anything. We are Weight Watchers. Say it loud, say it proud. And I was like, they know about community. And like I said, community is a deeply biblical value. It was a deeply held value in the early church. And the secular world has really understood that we need people around us moving the same direction if we're going to go that direction. Weight Watchers is really saying, if you want to live a healthier life, if you want to lose weight, you need a group of people around you who will help you do that. But I think in the church, we've sort of let go a little bit of the need for community. And I think sometimes we've made it optional. Like, and I think it's even in our verbiage. We say things like, I go to the vineyard instead of, I'm a part of the vineyard. It's even small, little, syntaxical things like that, but I think it speaks to who we are and what we believe. And so in this series, it's called Hungry for God. Derek just started it last week. It's based in the principle that God comes where he's wanted. That where there's a desire for God, that's where God moves. And so if we want God to move in our families, in our schools, in our workplaces, we need to be people who have a hunger and a desire for God. And over the next few weeks, we're going to talk about some important tools that can help us sort of stoke the fires of that hunger for God in us. And today we're going to talk about community. And really, every time I preach, I talk about community. If you know me at all, like, this is my thing. So we're going to pray a little bit, and then we'll jump in. So would you pray with me? Holy Spirit, you're here, and you're moving. And I just celebrate healing this morning. For the people who have received healing this morning, God, you never cease to amaze me. You are so good, and you are so powerful, and you are so present with your people. And so I just pray, specifically for those who did receive healing today, Lord, would it hold, God? I pray that it would last, and that it would not just be something that happened on May 1st, but that it would be something that moves throughout their lives. Freedom and healing. God, would you meet with us this morning? Would you come in power? In Jesus' name. Amen. And so the word for community in the Bible in Greek is koinonia. And it's this word that's like, it's deeper than what we think of community. It's about a deep sharing, a deep commitment to each other. It's about vulnerability and service. And that's the kind of community we're talking about when we talk about community in the Bible. And we're going to go to the book of Acts. The book of Acts is the story of the early church, the first century church. It starts at about 30 AD and ends at about 60 AD. So it's the first 30 years of what it looked like to be a follower of Jesus. And as you read in Acts, you find two things repeated over and over and over and over again. The first thing is that the early disciples met together. They lived life together. They were always together. And so I just wrote a few of the times, but if you read the book of Acts in one sitting, 
you keep seeing this word, together. They were together, together. Um, Acts chapter 1, verse 14, they all joined together constantly in prayer. Chapter 2, verse 1, when the days of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Chapter 4, verse 32, all the believers were in one heart and mind. Chapter 5, verse 12, all the believers met together in Solomon's colonnade. So, so many times it talks about how they lived deep lives of community together and how they shared and were committed to another, one another. And the second thing that we see is that the church grew more and more and more. The church exploded in the first century. Chapter 1, verse 41 said, those who accepted the message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Chapter 1, verse 47, and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Chapter 5, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. Again and again, we see the disciples meet, pray for each other, hold each other accountable, encourage each other, seek God together, and the church grows and grows and grows. And so it seems to me that there's something important about the meeting together, about living lives together in koinonia community that causes the church and the kingdom of God to expand. This is throughout the book of Acts, like I said, but we're going to focus in specifically on Acts chapter 4, verse 23 through 31. And the context here, just going to set it up, Peter and John had just been going to the temple and they saw a man sitting outside the temple gate who was it says lame. He couldn't walk, and he was a beggar. And so he asked them for money. You've probably heard this. Peter said, gold and silver I don't have, but what I have I will give you. Get up and walk. And so Peter heals this man by the gate. And everyone knows this guy. They know that he's never walked. And so people start coming over to see what happened. This guy's excited. He's jumping up and down like you would be if you never walked, and then you started walking. And Peter says, what happened here was by the power of Jesus who you crucified. This is not me. This is Jesus' power that healed this man. And then what happens is the temple guard and the chief priests arrest them, take them to prison. They spend the night in prison. And then before they let them go in the morning, they threaten them and warn them to stop talking about Jesus and to stop doing these signs. And so that's the context. We pick it up here in chapter 4, verse 23. And it says, On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. When they heard this, they raised their voice together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Why did the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Indeed, Herod and Pontius, Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in the city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, 
And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. And so immediately after being put in jail, threatened, possibly beaten, and then let go, what do Peter and John do? They go directly to their community. They go directly to their friends and the people who are like-minded. And I wonder, how do you think that Peter and John felt at that moment? Shout it out. How do you think they felt? Yeah, scared, probably. How else? Mm Mm-hmm. Maybe excited because someone was healed? I think we often think of the disciples as excited and full of power, but something really scary had just happened. And these were probably some of the same people, these chief priests, temple guard, who murdered Jesus. They were probably some of the very same people, and they were witness to that. So they knew what had happened before. And so they went with their ball of emotions, to be with their friends. And I wonder, what is your natural reaction when you're feeling all the things? When you're feeling scared or concerned or worried or excited or any of those things? And I think often, especially with the negative emotions, which they were probably feeling some of those, we often go to things that just numb those, right? I see some knowing head nods. Often when we're scared or discouraged or feeling ashamed, we go to shopping or TV or social media or YouTube videos just to like get it off us. We think if we can just like get it off, then we'll be okay. But what Peter and John do is go to the people who can hold them up who can remind them of the story that they're a part of. They don't even try to get it off of them. The first thing they talk to them about is what happened. Not only do Peter and John show up to their family of believers, but they share what's happening. And I think it's interesting what they share. They don't talk about the man who was healed. At least the Bible doesn't say they do. It says they tell them what the chief priest said and the threats that were made against them. And so maybe it was a lot of fear that was leading. And so they show up. These are the pillars of the church who are supposed to be the guys. If anyone knows what's going on, if anyone should be full of faith, it's Peter and John, right? But they show up and say, they said that they would kill us. They told us that they would throw us in jail or beat us, and they told us to stop. That's what they lead with. That's what they share with their community of people. And it does sound like they're scared. In their concern, they don't run away or hide or try to numb. They run to the people who they know can help them. And I think it's so interesting what the disciples then pray together. So John and Peter show up, and the disciples pray for them. And so together, as a community, they pray and they tell God basically who he is and remind themselves who God is, what God did through David and Jesus. And then in verse 29, they pray, 
Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to, I think I would say, stay safe. God, they just threatened our lives. Help us to be safe. Would you protect us, Lord? Would you provide for us? Would you help us to prosper when we're under this oppression? God, would you save us? But that's not what they pray. They say, now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. This is hunger for God, if ever I heard it. They don't ask for their own safety. They ask for the strength and courage to do the thing that God has called them to do. And I think they know that they need to go to their community to get that. Throughout the book of Acts, the disciples gather together to seek God, to pray, to encourage one another, and to ask God to move to ask God for his strength and his courage to do the thing that they know they're supposed to do. God, help me. You've already called us. God, help me to do this thing. Help us. And then throughout the book of Acts, God responds to the hunger of his people. Verse 31 says, After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. They meet and ask for God to move as a community, and God moves. God responds to the hunger of his people, and we see the pattern that I talked about earlier where the people of God gather together in community, and they seek God, and as they seek God, God responds to them. And they're able to proclaim the word of God and perform miraculous signs and wonders. And as that happens, the greater community, the areas where they live, people who are far from God say, what is happening over there? It creates a hunger in the people who don't even know God to figure out what's happening. And the kingdom of God grows because this community gathered together to seek God. I think often we think, we have to figure out what we're supposed to do for God and then we'll go do it. But one thing that God has already said that we should do is gather together and seek God. Encourage each other. Continue. Don't give up meeting. Continue to be together. And it's a cycle that's ever-expanding where a community seeks God. God moves. The greater community grows a hunger for God and moves closer to God and it grows and grows and grows but it's not individual it's always communal these things always happen in the community of God's people I've been a Christian for 25 years that's longer than some of you have been alive it's a long time right and so for the first 10 years of my Christian faith I was so riddled with shame because I thought I had to get my life together and figure it out, and every bad feeling that I felt, I pushed down because I didn't want anyone to see it. And so I tried to get close to God and to seek God about what he wanted to do with my life, but I couldn't quite get it. I didn't grow. I had just stepped over a line 
and I stayed there. I was still angry, I was still mean, I was still prideful, and I didn't know how to fix that. And then about 15 years ago, I felt like God really called me to begin to let down the walls that I kept up to keep myself safe and to let people know me and to pursue people in knowing them and allowing them to know me. And God built a community of people around me. And from that moment, I would say that my life has been marked by growth and freedom. I still have a long way to go. A long way to go. But what I know is that if I look at the first 10 years of my Christian faith in the last 15, the difference is stark. That whenever I engaged fully in community, I was changed. My hunger for God grew, and my ability to do the things that God asked of me grew. And so what I'm saying is that we can't do this alone. And what I will say is that in the last 15 years, it hasn't always been easy. I think we probably all have a story of community, engaging in community and getting hurt or getting burned. But I think I've come to believe that one of the greatest hindrances to our growing with God is our love of comfort. That I think it used to be happiness that Americans wanted, but I think now it's, it's shifted a little bit to comfort. I'm not sure we even want to be happy all the time. We just don't want anything rubbing up against us or telling us that we're wrong, or making us feel cringy. That's what my kids say. That's the word the kids are using. We don't want that. And so we avoid it at all costs. And I think sometimes we avoid community for that reason, because we know that there will be times when we feel cringy. But if I think about my life, and the things that have done the most good for me, the things that have created the most health in my life, they are things that at times were uncomfortable, right? Choosing to eat broccoli and asparagus instead of yummy chocolate cake <laughs> is a resistance for me and maybe for many of you. Choosing to get up early and work out or spend time with God is a resistance for me. It's not always comfortable. Sometimes I fall into it and it's lovely. But sometimes I don't sleep well the night before and I'm not happy when the alarm goes off in the morning. And I'm glad that no one else is up in my house because I would not be nice to them. So the things that we think about that have built the most health in us often are not things that are always comfortable. And I would say community is another one. That it is good and it is worth it but it is not always easy. I'm not going to lie to you and say that it is, but it's worth it. And so I want to make this really practical. And I want to go out on a limb and say that if we are doing Christian faith alone, I think the Bible would support me in saying that we're doing it wrong that that's not the way that God would have us do it. God is a trinity. God in himself is a community. Three people in one. 
right? And so if you are not in community, which many of us aren't, please don't hear any sort of guilt or shame because we just came out of the most traumatic thing that most of us have ever experienced in our lives. And that drove us into individualism and being alone. And so we're all sort of figuring out what that looks like. So don't hear shame from me, but what I'm saying now is that it's time to emerge, that it's time to press in as much as you possibly can. And so I want to just tick off a few. I don't usually give one, two, three points, but I'm going to do that today because I think it's important to be practical here. The first thing is to show up. Acts 4.23 says, On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. They didn't hide in shame. They ran to their community. And I would say if you don't have a community, make one. This is a great one. It's my favorite one. Maybe I'm biased. I don't know. You can come to worship weekly. Come and be here because it matters, not even just to you. It matters to the people around you. Other people need to see you show up. You can get involved in midpoint. Come to classes. Welcome lunch. Show up. That's the first step. Just be here because that matters. That matters to, to you and it matters to the people around you. The second thing is engage fully. Peter and John shared their lives fully with their community. They shared their concerns. So don't just show up, but bring yourself. Be known as much as you possibly can. Show up with everything that you've brought in. And I know that's hard in a process, but do your best. Share yourself with others. Allow people to see who you really are and commit Commit, I think that's a word that we don't necessarily like, commit to growing together. What that means is that we don't have it all together and we don't expect other people to have it all together, but we're going to commit to growing together. And what that means is if you hurt my feelings, I'm going to come to you and say, hey, I don't know what you meant by that, but this is what I thought you meant. Is that right? Instead of saying, oh, that person hurt my feelings. Clearly, they meant to hurt my feelings. I'm never going there again, which is what I think happens. Engage fully with the community. Commit to growing together. And just a, an aside, what you hide can't be healed. Anything that you don't bring before people in God will not be healed. And so if there's, even as I say that, if there's something that, comes to mind, do your best to bring that when you show up. And the third thing is to go out and live your life boldly. Peter and John lived a life of kingdom business, right? They did things that people didn't like, and so they needed a community to run back to. They needed a safe place to really be built up and taken care of and loved on. Live your life in such a way that you need a community that will encourage you and remind you of the story you're a part of. Step four, repeat. Show up, engage fully, go out and live your life boldly. These things, as we meet together and form community, build community, commit to a community, 
with each other will grow in us a deeper hunger for God. And God comes where he's wanted. We are a people who are called to transform the spaces we inhabit by the power of the gospel. And we can only do that as we engage fully with a community of people who are committed to doing that. Thank you again for choosing the Vineyard Altoona podcast. We're so excited to see how God will release his kingdom in and through you today for the glory of Jesus Christ. With this, be blessed, and we'll see you next time.